0: standing There is walking, there is connecting, distinct from I am hearing, I am seeing, I am standing, I am relating to you. Okay, what would you notice? Great, just quickly, See, and you don't need the microphone. Just speak up, though.
1: When there isn't the eye, it's...
0: okay, it's, it's smoother. All right, that's what you experienced. All right,
1: great, right there. Okay, yeah. And, and again, it's really important to be clear what we mean by the word I because
0: sometimes people use that word to refer to that kind of broad sense of a person process occurring. And I'm, so I'm going to keep trying to focus it on that, you know, theme that's so strong in ordinary culture that the I is an entity.
1: So just, Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: sure, that's interesting, yeah, yeah, we'll see pretty soon that I is functional in some ways, but a little bit of it can go a long way. All right, all the way in the back.
1: Isn't that interesting, yeah, different
0: experiences, but yeah, I think that's a common one. All right, right there purple? It felt very different, correct? Yeah. What can you say a word or two about the the differences?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I think that kind of summarizes for a lot of people. Maybe one or two more from now, but this side, yeah. Ah uh, it's interesting yeah. It's great. Well, thank you. All right, one more person have about, yeah. So if I uh uh-huh. Ah interesting. Okay great. Thank you. Great. So you can see
0: in experience in terms of what actually happens coming back good that if you you know i'm kind of summarize what you might have noticed to some extent in this little practice or i offer it to you as a you know i think this is true see for yourself that when we think of this so-called unified i we start realizing that even the i has subpersonalities there are multiple eyes. And there's the eye that sets the alarm clock to get up early in the morning, right? And then there's the eye that wakes up at 6 a.m. and says, who set the damn clock, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, the eye that sets good intentions in one way, but then the eye says, screw it, you know, in another. Not compounded. Uh, different voices, different perspectives, even organized around what seems like a core of eye. Not unified compounded second direct observing it you could see there's more or less sense of I it's impermanent you can shift back and forth I'm just queuing you up there is hearing I am hearing just you know uh, looking at a person I can look at a person and I can go oh I think there's an entity in there that I'm interacting with or I can go you know there's a general process unfolding over there embedded in a body that has many parts and a brain that has many subsystems. That's what I'm interacting with. You know, I as person, right? Uh, So you can see that um, I is not, the I process, if you will, is impermanent. It's not enduring. It's not always the same. Okay. Third, the I process, the sense of self, the sense of I or me, right, arises dependently. I'm cueing you. There is... I am right back forth, different causes, uh, what I notice and we'll talk about later is the ways in which the sense of self, which is more intense in humans uh, among any animals uh, in the kingdom uh, that the sense of I is adaptive it's an adaptive response, especially to three major things which have to do with our three major needs uh, you know. Uh, if you just sort of watch you're rolling along everything's fine there's a pain suddenly a pain arises you can see this coalescing and organizing around i what am i going to do with that pain this kind of sense of an internal sense of agency and um executive function related to dealing with that pain Second major place where you can just watch everything's fine, and then suddenly opportunity arises, whatever it might be, right? You see, you know, the carrot, yum, yum, or you're walking through the mall, just kind of spacing out, mind stream unfolding, suddenly you see a sweater on sale in the window of the gap, and you go, I want that, okay? You can just watch it. Or third major cue for I, you might have noticed it milling around with other people, you're rolling down the street, just kind of, this person process, unfolding, sounds occurring, hearings occurring, thoughts are arising and passing away. It's just all occurring. And then something, someone, suddenly someone comes around a corner that you like a lot or don't like a lot. I starts coalescing right there. You can observe it. So the sense of I, the sense of self, is uh, arises dependently. And last, clearly, I is not the totality of our identity. Clearly, I arises inside a larger context of personing, personness. All right. So it's interesting, isn't it? In just a direct observation that the uh, constituting uh, conditions or attributes, the constituting, the defining attributes of the presumed entity I, cannot be actually found in direct experience. Whoa. And in the brain, they can't be found either. So I'm going to move through a little material here and then talk a bit more about it. These are two key slides. The resolution is not the greatest. There's been a lot of neuroscience on the contrast self-not-self. And the studies are done in a variety of ways. For example, picking out your picture from distinguishing it from a group of other people. That's one of the contrasts that are used. Um, asking people to declare themselves on a complex moral question, uh, like abortion, or something like that. You know, you know. I think this, they think that. Uh, another one is personal memory. You know, what happened to me, uh, what I had for breakfast, versus what they had for breakfast. Okay, you see the contrast? And what you'll see is that in this um, slide, which is a literature review of uh many many studies and by the way, in the back of the um, slide set, which you can get um, uh, are a bunch of references right? so this is a literature review, and so these little uh, squiggles are different uh, you know contrasts between i and not i or these 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 have to do with Pardon me, representations in the brain where there's a strong sense of I. Okay? So they basically asked they manipulated people in the studies to have a strong sense of eye. Okay? Well what do you see? You see the sense of eye is based on activation all over the brain. There's tremendous localization for function in the brain, you know, for like the motor strips that are involved in moving your left little finger, uh, for recognizing faces, for distinguishing between liking and wanting. There's very, very little localization for the sense of self. There's a little bit of localization in the midline of the brain, particularly in the so called default mode network, but it's wildly distributed, as you can see in this particular uh, summary of many different studies. See those little triangles, uh, or rather diamonds, uh, Xs, and uh, other shapes? They're all over the brain. In a different literature review, good. Uh, we see the contrast between uh, what parts of the brain activate related to different uh, cues that pull up a sense of I or a sense of self contrasted to uh, cues in these experimental studies that pull up a sense of other. So white is self. White dots are self. They're probably kind of hard to see. And the blue dots are other. Notice two things. First of all the white dots are scattered all over the brain. And neuroscience is a baby science. We're still learning things, but even so far, I mean, the technology's really coming right along. And so you can see that the white dots are all over the place. So in the brain, we can see that self is a highly compounded, distributed, and um, dependently arising phenomenon, uh, and impermanent, because you can manipulate the heck out of it. The other thing to notice in this study is that the white dots are all mixed up with the blue dots. You know, there's no special place in the brain that just does me. Wow. So we see in the brain the same thing that we see in our own psychology, our own experience, our own mind stream. That the a basis in the brain for the apparent unified single, I, is multiply compounded. It's wildly distributed. Second, in the brain we see that uh, the basis neurologically for the presumed enduring permanent constant I is actually wildly impermanent, very, very, very dynamic. Third, that the presumably independent uh, entity I actually arises you, the, the neurological basis for that sense of self is very, very dependent. It's dependent on many kinds of circuits and in a broader sense is very dependent... On the evolution altogether of the nervous system that has enabled a strong sense of I in human animals distinct from other animals, including um, related animals among the primates. We're still trying to figure out what's going on with the cetaceans, you know, the great whales, dolphins, and porpoises. Um, And then last you can see that the sense of the neural basis for I is only part of the whole stream. It's only part of the person. It's not the whole deal. I had to pick my jaw off the floor when I started looking at this stuff. Okay? All right? So, you okay so far? Yep. The blue dots were uh, you'll see some clusters uh, to go back. Um, it just means that's where it showed up on that particular study. But, and it might be meaningful I, that, you know, you don't see blue dots in other parts of the brain. But, you know, the takeaway is, man... There are blue dots, that's for the other, they're all over the place, and the white dots are all over the place too, and the white dots are mixed in with the blue dots. I think of it myself as like in the stream of consciousness, with lots of flotsam and jetsam swirling around, you know, swirling along, like sticks and beer bottles and all. The rest of that, the sense of me, myself, and I, my precious me, is just mixed up with everything else, both in the stream of consciousness, as well in the stream of physical neural processing.
1: Yeah? There are emerging theories about this, right, and um, you know,
0: it, this is pretty cutting-edge stuff, and you know, one way to think of it is that the complexity of You know, the multiplicity is adaptive because we can go in different ways. You know, the subpersonality that just super chill and hangs out is really good for parties. And the subpersonality that's goal-directed and focused and no dessert until you eat your vegetables, kids, you know, uh, whatever, you know, has other kinds of functions. Uh, The takeaway for me is to use this. It's intellectually interesting. The question is what's useful. And to the extent that it helps us disidentify from, from this presumed entity, be disenchanted even about it, wake up from the spell it casts, and open out into the whole person process and relate to others in that way, which is a beautiful gift to others, to allow them to be more flexible and you know dynamic and um, fluid rather than static. It's a gift to other people. Uh, that's for me the takeaway. Okay, so... Um, and as we see in a model in which people in the buddhist tradition are interested in not clinging or craving so much i is often what we cling to it's an object of attachment and i the sense of i you know in which we take things personally or identify with our positions or or get possessive about our objects um that presumed I process, is also a source of suffering, also a basis for craving and therefore suffering and harm. So there's a real interest in this topic, pragmatically. Okay. So, what are we left with? Um, even as there is an awareness of the dynamic, compounded, dependent, arising and changing and passing away, of um, the sense of I there is still this intractable feeling of subjectivity. In philosophy it's called ipsaity, this sense of uh, the, the referencing of experiencing to a particular body or to a particular continuity of observing. Even when the mind is really quiet and there's mostly just the big sky of awareness with very few clouds or birds, passing through it even then there is this sense of witnessing that is a kind of subjectivity right but here's the thing what the brain does is it takes those moments of subjectivity and it indexes across them to find what is invariant or constant across those episodes so there is subjectivity across those episodes from which the brain infers a constant subject aha but just because there the brain does that subjectivity does not necessarily mean that there is a constant subject and that sense of a constant subject is one of the most intractable Bases for the presumption of an entity I. This is cool. you kind of like, <laughs> do it one more time. <laughs> yeah. More words. More, examples. more words. More words? Oh, examples. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> it's kind of like if you, it's a little weird to do, but you sort of imagine a movie like a movie, 22 frames per second or whatever it is these days. Um, And you can imagine your own experience like, you know, a quarter second or a half second or a second at a time. In the moment, even when there's little sense of I, there is a sense of a witnessing, you know? And there's a sense that this streaming of consciousness is related to a particular body and in a sense to a particular perspective. That's pretty inherent in phenomenology. This side of profound non-dual states of awareness. And as someone, you know, if you meditated very much, you know, you can get a sense of it. It's really quiet. Not much going on. And yet there's still a sense of a witnessing. And therefore, a that which is witnessed. Right? So you see that fundamental property? It's inherent in, I think, ordinary, ordinary, experiencing. People report situations where the subject-object distinction just totally falls out, profound, non-ordinary states of consciousness. I'm not sure I've ever had that yet, but I believe people who report it. And me, I go, something's got to happen inside the brain unless we got supernatural explanations. Right? How could that be? But under most conditions, even quite subtle meditative conditions, there's that quality of subjectivity, right? Subject, object, subjectivity, a witnessing of that which is witnessed. But what I think happens is we take that inherent feature of most consciousness, subjectivity, and from it the brain infers a a noun, from what is a verbal process. The brain infers an entity subject, a one who witnesses, a one who knows, from a process of knowing, a process of witnessing, a process of subjectivity. I believe that's true. And realizing this is really useful and freeing because then you get, oh wow, there is subjectivity, there is hearing, there is a hearing of sound, there is a subjectivity, but there need not be some entity subject as a result. So I offer that to you to consider. I'm going to keep going, rock climbing metaphor, so we don't fall down. All right, I hope. Okay, just again, watch it. This is pretty subtle stuff, deep stuff. This is a deep end of the pool workshop, non-trivial, you don't know what you signed up for, but here we are. Uh, but but I'm gonna keep going, okay? So but it's freeing to realize subjectivity does not necessarily mean there's an entity inside. Who is the subject? Ah, okay. And see what it feels like to relax into yeah, subjectivity. Yeah, witnessing. Fine. Doesn't necessarily need to be an entity that needs to be held on to and glorified. Okay. So, quick summary, from both psychological perspectives and neurological perspectives, the presumed entity I is not merely um, empty in the technical sense of, you know, not having absolute self-existence, that actually it's defining attributes, it's constituting attributes don't exist. It's not merely empty, it's non-existent. For If you're trained at all in Buddhism, that distinction I'm making is an important one, right? Um, I think that persons exist, in my view, the presumed in Western psychology and philosophy entity I does not exist. It's not merely empty like sounds are empty, sights are empty, sensations are empty in the technical sense of being impermanent and foamy and insubstantial. The defining, constituting, uh, attributes of it or conditions for the presumed entity I, in my view, don't exist at all. There is no unification, there is no permanence, uh, there is no independence. And those are the constituting attributes of this I. That's what this slide says. See for yourself. Okay. And then especially see what happens if it's useful. Okay? So then, my favorite part, my favorite slide, self is like a unicorn. What do I mean by that? So, I think horses exist. Okay? Can't prove it in some ultimate philosophical sense, but I think they exist. Horses exist. Okay? Representations of horses, ideas about horses, um, uh, images of horses, memories of riding a horse, that exists in the sense that information exists immaterially inside the natural frame including experiences. I think experiences of cats or fish or squirrels or monkeys or humans exist in some sense, in the sense that information exists, in ways that are different from how materiality exists inside the natural frame. Okay? So far? Now let's take unicorns. I'm sorry to disappoint, but I don't think unicorns exist. Currently, at least. Okay? Yet, we can have ideas about unicorns, we can remember a picture of a unicorn from some book we read or in our own imagination or, darn, I really wish unicorns existed. You know, right? But these are, in other words, these are real representations of unicorns. Real, in- existent representations of unicorns enabled by real, material, existent, physical processes that represent a mythical beast, a non-existent creature. In the same way, I think there are routinely existent material processes in the nervous system and body that represent existent ideas of self, presumptions of an entity I that also exist that refer to something that does not exist, like a unicorn. You'll, uh, if you watch your mind, you'll see routinely that there is both me and I. Okay. me kind of in a sense of an, a, a character in a history, the history of the past or a character in a projected movie about the future. there is a me. you know and that sense of a me varies. very often the, re- the referent to the me is actually to the me more as a person. It's a total package. Occasionally there's a referent to the me. Which is an I that a presumed I or a sense of I that once exist, existed, or a presumed subject that did once exist or might exist in the future. Okay. Meanwhile, there's often a sense of an I, or there's a presumption of an I, like I think this. What does that actually mean when you say to yourself, "I think this," or "I want that," or "I love you"? What's well, the I? And you look in the your experience, you could see there was a presumption of the full I package, and yet never, ever, ever is the full I package, the presumed full I, ever encountered in the mind. That's remarkable. You know, so there you are, you're meditating, and your mind's kind of quiet, so you can see a lot of stuff, or you're interacting with other people. And there's and you just watch this presumption of an entity in there. So there's a lot of presumptions of the entity. But do you ever find the full package of the presumed entity, the, the fully presumed entity? Never find it weird. Okay, finishing up. Okay, that's good right now. Good. All right, what do you make of all that? What does it mean? Oh, what I mean is, yeah, again, if you here's bring it down to experience, you're rolling along. You know, you're like, you're walking through a mall, all right, And you're thinking, I got to go get <clears throat> some candles. Power went out in Marin a little while, a few days, a week ago or something. I got to get some candles at Sears. Okay, so right there. And so then that's what happened. There, that was like the experience of I got to get some candles at Sears as I walk through, as this body walks through, this person walks through, the Northgate Mall. So that, just stop it right there. Stop the movie right there and rewind. Okay? Five-second mental movie. I got to get some candles at Sears. Okay? Then you go back and you look at it. Go, I. What was the I there? And you go, I, and you look closely in the experience of I, and it could be something like, I like you, or I want more salt in my spaghetti. I. Just stop the movie. Mindfully examine it. The Buddha, see for yourself if it's useful. He was really big on insight. And Pali Vipassana. So, insight. Buddha, I say, was a pre-modern, post-modernist. Very deconstructive. Take a look back at the fabric, the tapestry of experience and pull the threads apart. What's there? So you look back. What's the eye in, you know, I want more salt in my spaghetti or I got to get some candles this Sears. You look what the eye. And in that eye is a sort of like in a, a presumption or idea that there's some kind of being inside who's choosing and deciding, right? And yet if you look really closely, do you ever find that complete static entity that's one congealed thing? You never find it. You find all kinds of references to it and claims about it in your mind. And you see them in culture, and you see them with other people. Very, the sense of I is very much a social construction as well. You know, We presume an I in others. We say, you, let me down. And we're talking to you. I'm talking to you in there. You, you, right behind those eyes. You, don't hide you. You know what I mean? And right. Or they talk to us that way. So there are all these presumptions of some kind of entity, routinely, And neurons that fire together wire together. So as we're having those experiences, we start to really believe it. And yet, I offer this to you to consider. I think it's the teaching of the Buddha as well. When you look closely, don't see it. See a lot of references to unicorns. I'd never find a unicorn there. The whole package. I see like a horn. I see like a foot. I never find the whole package in the mind, present, here and now. And then you just kind of go, what's the use of this, Rick? Why? Who cares? Why did the Buddha care about this? Because so much suffering, maybe we'll get to right after lunch, so much suffering comes from taking things personally. And to track the difference, which we'll explore right after lunch, which we'll move into, to track the difference between, this is really summarized well in writing, from a a Southeastern, Southeast Asian teacher. Love yourself. Just don't love your self. That's the distinction right there. Bringing kindness and care and nurturance, including taking in, as we'll see after lunch, narcissistic supplies, so-called, of approval and love from others. Taking that in without presuming some kind of entity inside. Without, yeah, that's it. Okay. Another comment or t- question or two, then we'll slide into lunch. Yeah, maybe we'll do the microphone now. Any microphone runners back there? Maybe you could bellow out while they get the mic to
1: you. Mic is coming. Okay. Yeah. By not uh, having the self uh, sort of ground upon.
0: But it also seems like it's the sort of rallying cry um, for actualization to take action. Because the eye has a sense of responsibility and yeah. needs to take action in order to survive. That's, that's really right. And we'll right after lunch I'll talk about... Um, you know, my notion is, and other people as well, why do we have the sense of eye that's so strong? You know, chimpanzees or bonobos, our genetically closest cousins, don't seem to have much sense of eye. Um, you know, dogs, cats, not much sense of eye, you know, take it from there. Again, I think the cetaceans are really interesting and still somewhat mysterious what's going on there. Uh, but um, the on the other hand, as a long-time rock climber... Um, Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, you know, like uh, when I fall off, in it, when, when this person falls off the overhang, I want to get back up on you know? And um, at the end of the day, you know, two people, which would you prefer? I'll leave you with this on the way out the door, then I'm happy to stick around and talk with people during the lunch break. Which would you rather? Talk with someone, some kind of new age way, who says, you know, in the mysterious space, these processes inhabit there is love so much love right or would you rather hear someone say to you i love you <laughs> <laughs> you know we want to know that and so the trick then like so many things is to appreciate the poignancy that we're here today Because our ancestors were really good at craving and selfing. And the fruits of that and the capabilities based in craving and selfing enable us to sit here today and try to disentangle ourselves from that machinery. Because we can see that it leads to so much suffering in our So it's very poignant, isn't it? It's poignant. We swim upstream a lot against the currents of Mother Nature in some ways, but we draw upon the gifts of Mother Nature to free ourselves from Mother Nature in many, many kinds of ways. And to use selfing lightly, you know, to move back and forth as is useful in conventional ways between self as person and self as entity I and hold it lightly and progressively. And it's true for me and I think it's true for other people who've been practicing for a while sense of entity I starts dispersing. There's still personing unfolding. There's still walking across a the room. There are still the executive functions of choosing and selecting and valuing and planning. But there is still subjectivity. But an identification with all that and a clinging to all that uh, starts falling away. And with it is an opening into allness. An opening into the whole river streaming of causes as we relax identification with a particular eddy in that stream and if i may say so if you look at people who are far far you know far along in practice farther along than me they become less dickish <laughs> i'll leave it at that that's good enough for me all right how about we have lunch can you do a lunch in an hour Right, do we need an announcement for lunch or do you know what to do? If you go out on the highway, make sure you do the you know, correct right turn and come on back, hop on. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please
1: visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.